you remain standing at this time, I'm going to read our scripture for this morning, and uh, the words will be up on the screen behind me. I'll be in a few different places in Proverbs, so uh, do not feel uh, the need to turn there with me at this moment. But this is the word of the Lord for us this morning, Proverbs 3.9. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Proverbs 23.4 says, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. Then Proverbs 30 verses 7 through 9 says this. It's a prayer, and it says, Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be fool and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Please be seated at this time. Well, I want to welcome you, as always, to White Oak. Um, My name is John, if you're new or visiting, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here at the church. And uh, I'm so glad you're here with us if you're visiting, um, or if you're a regular, I'm glad you're here with us. Um, I love you all, and as always, I I truly love um, opening up the Word of God with you, um, discerning what God has for us. Um, And I just always want to remind you, I think this is important, um, that as I preach to you, I don't just preach to you as a crowd, but as friends and family that I know very personally. And so um, every week when I get up here, I take my job very seriously to open up God's word, to preach it correctly um, and in God's spirit that you would discern and grow from it. And so I want you to know that um, everything that we talk about, every sermon, not just this morning, is done in love. But uh, the title this morning is Defeating the Money Monster, and I'm really proud of that title. So it's called Defeating the Money Monster. And um, it's funny because as I was preparing the sermon today, I know it's weird to talk about money in church. And so if you're new or visiting, I have to say this. People always tell me, make sure that you tell them, you know, you don't talk about money a lot, you know. Uh, I've been the pastor for about three years, and this will probably be only like the second sermon I've ever actually preached on money. Um, but uh, I think this is a really important topic because I think that money in our lives uh, consumes a lot of what we do, if we're honest. Um, Most of us uh, spend the majority of our lives working our jobs, and we work our jobs usually so we can make money to provide for ourselves and for our family. Um, But I also think that money provides a unique challenge to us as Christians that I think most things don't provide, And, and let me explain it this way. I think most things in the Christian life, you would say, okay, so that's a good thing, so do more of that, right? So if something's good, more of it is better and less of it um, is bad, right? Or um, if it's a sin, uh, doing more of a sin is bad and doing less of a sin is good, right? Usually things, there seems to be an absolute quality, and so if it's good, we should do it. If it's bad, we should not do it. And yet I think, and as I was thinking this week, I think money is one of the unique things that can be extra dangerous and an extra trap for us in our lives because, as they say, money can burn you on both ends. Money is difficult, and money is a topic we have to discern because um, if you have too little money, that can be a bad thing, can't it? And we're going to look at that this morning. 
But also, the Bible says if we have too much money or if we live for money too much, that's a bad thing. And so this isn't like prayer where it's like you're never going to hear a pastor say, just pray less. You know, you're never going to hear someone say that. You're never going to hear a pastor say, you know, just find the right balance of love in your life. I mean, don't love too often, right? Don't do too much of it, you know, but do a little bit of it. But money can be difficult, can't it? Because we don't want to be poor, but we also don't want to be worldly rich. And so the question is, how do we keep money from being a monster that destroys our lives or destroys our purpose our true purpose in life, because we're too focused on the idea of money. And yet what's really cool in Scripture is that specifically in the Proverbs, God provides us with what we call preemptive grace, meaning that uh, when we think of grace, usually we think of like, you know, if I make a mistake, God forgives me, which that's grace, it's a huge part of grace. Um, But the Proverbs and the wisdom in the Proverbs is preemptive grace in your life that enables you, and this is so cool, to fix your mistakes before you make them. Proverbs says, hey, come and sit for a while and learn. Come change your life. Come follow God's good plan and path so that in the future, you don't make those obvious mistakes that you're probably heading towards right now. That's what wisdom is. That's why the Proverbs are important. We read the Proverbs a lot of times, not because we've already made made mistakes, but because we want to fix the mistakes that we're already about to make in our life. And so uh, the Bible provides us for this in the context of money. But we must ultimately realize that the way God tells us to handle money is very different than the world. And I want to show the differences of that this morning for you and call you to God's good way. In a way that I thought I could do this, because I think we often, not only do we not understand how God does money, but we don't understand how our world does money. I think we sometimes maybe have an over-glorified version of money in our world and culture. And so in order to illustrate um, the way the world does money and the way the, the world calls us to be generous, is I want you to do an experiment for me for the next year, okay? Will you do an experiment for me for the next year? Before I even tell you, just commit to it, okay? This is going to be a great experiment for you. It's going to really, really make your life very interesting, okay? You want to hear the experiment? Okay. Some of y'all are going to love this. Um, So I want you, for the next year of your life, to commit to not paying any taxes to the government. And I want you to see what happens. So, So someone already... yeah. So, so let, me, let me lay out what that looks like, right? Because if you want to get the full of the experiment, you've got to really do it right, okay? So um, if you own a house, which many of you do, um, I want you to decide this year, I am not going to pay property taxes on my house, okay? So if you own a house, the government taxes you money for the services around you, education, roads, health care, things like that, whatever. Um, I want you to decide and tell your local governing authorities, hey, guys, this year I will not be paying any property taxes. I just want to let you know that because I'm deciding not to do it, and my pastor gave me an experiment, so I'm not going to pay any property taxes. And then I want you to go to your job where you make your money because, you know, when you uh, make money, your employer takes money out of your paycheck, that's taxes, and gives it to the government for various services, right? And I want you to call your employer, which you can actually do this, by the way. You can tell your employer, hey, I don't want you to take any taxes out of my paycheck, right? Now, if you do that, you're supposed to pay them on your own, right, to the government directly, right? But you have the right to call your employer and say, hey, don't take any um, taxes out of my paycheck this year. 
And then, uh, this is where it gets a little more complicated, uh, every time you go to places like Walmart or Target or you go to eat at Chick-fil-A or McDonald's or wherever you like to eat or you go to the grocery store or whatever you like to do, uh, when you go to buy something and they give you your receipt or tell you how much it's going to be, I want you to say, hey, look, you charged me eight cents for every dollar here. I don't want to pay that because I'm doing an experiment this year and I'm not paying any taxes to see what happens to me, okay? That might be a little complicated. They may not just sell you the products. So you might not be able to go out to a bunch of places, right? But I want you to decide to pay no property taxes, no taxes out of your paycheck. I, I want you to pay no taxes when you buy things out in the world. And I want you to see what happens to you this wonderful year ahead that God has planned for you. Now, here's a question. You're a smart person, and you know I'm joking. What will happen to you if you decide not to pay taxes and not to contribute to the common good of the world and culture around you? What will happen to you? Jail. You will be thrown into jail. You will have, I think they can probably take your house away. They can take your car away. The government will literally throw you into jail if you do not give it the money that you think or that it thinks that you need to pay it. And, and the reason why I point this out is because um, in our modern world, our, our modern, progressive, so-called civilized world, you do realize that we still enforce generosity through brute force, right? The world that you live in, because like, you think, well, but let's not like put people in jail. People will just be good in their own hearts, and they'll just give to the common good. They'll knock on your door and say, hey, we need to build a road. Can you contribute to this project? And everyone's going to contribute, but the problem is they would not. You see, human institutions, which every government's like this, built by human hands, have to use threats to get people to be generous towards it. And the irony of it is, in light of all of its ability to force us to give it money, it's still constantly in debt. It never has enough. But what if I told you there was another organization in the world organized by a different idea? What if I told you there was an organization that literally commanded no one to give? It threatened no one. It imprisoned no one. It sued no one for not giving to it, while still welcoming everyone regardless of how much they gave. What, what if I told you there was an organization that has all that it needs and the only thing that it tells its people is to give as you feel led and to everything you give, make sure you give it genuinely in love. And what if I told you this organization for the most part largely had no debt, had everything that it needs and has far outlasted the country that you and I live in. Now, if you're following with me, and if you're smart, you probably know that what I'm talking about here is the church. Do you ever find it amazing that the church literally is this massive worldwide operation built on the gospel of Jesus? There are churches all over the world supported by people who merely give donations out of love and generosity. I've never heard of a church that has ever harmed anybody or threatened anybody or put anybody in jail or sued anybody for not giving to it. And yet as a church, and, I, and I'm so glad to tell you this, even as our local church, we have more than we need. 
So the question then becomes, what is the difference? Why does the government, why do human institutions crafted by human hands have to force people by brute force to give it money out of threat, duty, guilt, and obligation? And how does the church, how are they able to counter that and to call people to give purely in love? And to do that, I want us to quickly turn to Romans chapter 5. I'm going to read a few verses here this morning before we dive into the Proverbs. This is the difference right here. This is the great change variable. This is what empowers us to be people who handle money out of love, not out of guilt or obligation. In Romans 5, 6 through 8, I love these verses. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now you might be asking, what in the world does that have to do with money? And the answer is, that has everything to do with money. Because this is the gospel of Jesus Christ in every single aspect, component, and detail of the Christian life. And being a Christian is centered around the love displayed in the gospel by Jesus to us. See, the first thing we have to know is that the gospel is the center of everything, including money. And let me tell you why the gospel is so important to the way that you and I handle money in our lives. The gospel is important because the problem with money in our world is we see money as transactional, right? I mean, that's how everybody sees money. I give you money, you give me service. I give you money, you give me a good. Somebody pays you money to do a job, and you do the job they paid to do. All of money is transactional. And if we're not careful, all of our lives will become transactional, which means they will not be built in love. It means it's built in law. I will only do this for you if you give this to me. You see, the reality is is that money in the world is viewed as a transaction, but in the gospel of Jesus, we begin to see money not as a transaction, but as a way to love God and to love people. And I say that because the gospel is the farthest thing from a transaction. There is no transaction in the gospel because as Paul says in Romans 8, God showed his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel is not transactional because you bring nothing to the table. The gospel is love. It is not transaction. Because it says while we were still weak, while we had nothing to offer Jesus, he died for us. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, you and me, meaning Christ died for the undeserving. You see, God brings everything to the table, and in the gospel, we simply receive his salvation and redemption for our sins. We receive this love, and we reemerge back into the world completely different people. We are now called to love unconditionally. We've been fully loved. We're not going out into the world looking for someone to love me or give me purpose. God has given us everything we need. I exist to bless. And the reason why this is so important is because we have been given everything we need in Christ, so we are provided for, but then also we were given in love, and this was not a transaction. 
You see, the gospel makes everything about love. The gospel makes everything, including the way we spend our money, ultimately about love. You see, this is the biggest single misunderstanding about Christianity. Almost every person that I know who's not a Christian, if you ask them, what is Christianity about? What is it like? They'll say something like, it's about being a better person. It's about um, being more obedient to God. It's about being more moral. It's about being a good person, then God will love you. And that could not be farther from the truth. Christianity is not about what you do for God. It is about what God has done for you. It's a declaration that Christ has paid for your sin, that Christ has given you new life, and we receive it, and we now walk in this love. Christianity, as we often say, is not about your resume. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus that drives every single thing that we do. And the problem is we often don't equate our money with the gospel. And so the gospel means now everything we do is in love. And so the gospel is the center of our money. But as we live in this new motivation, God also gives us practical wisdom for what this looks like in our lives. And so turn with me to Proverbs 23.4. If you have a Bible, turn there with me. As we realize now that love and the foundation of it is, or that money, the foundation of money is love, we come to some principles that God gives us, I think, that are extremely helpful. And as I have read through the Proverbs the past few weeks, I've found four key things that I see over and over in the Proverbs. And the first one is this, Proverbs 23, 4. It says, do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. So the first thing is this, simply don't live for money. Our first approach to money as Christians is we don't live for it. The aim of our life is is not and should never be simply to be rich. It says, do not toil to acquire wealth. That word toil in the Proverbs means like um, kind of like an endless pursuit. Something that you toil on in the Proverbs would mean something you're kind of constantly giving your focus and your attention to. It says, be discerning enough, be wise enough to desist, be wise enough to not just live for money. In Ecclesiastes 5.10, it says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with it, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. And so the idea that money will not buy happiness is biblical. It says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with it. Uh, There was an interesting um, TED Talk that I watched. Um, And obviously, TED Talk is not a Christian thing. It's just kind of like more of a kind of like a secular um, talk on a certain expert with some things that he's been studying. And there was a TED talk given uh, by a guy named Michael Norton, and he had an intriguing um, title to the talk, so I had to watch it. And he said, basically, money can buy happiness, right? And yet his thesis in the TED talk that he said was based in science and research is that what we have found is that money cannot buy happiness in the sense that I go get a bunch of money, buy stuff, and then I'm happy. But he said money actually can buy happiness if we take the money that we have and we use it to love and to bless other people and we invest our money in our family and ultimately the people that we love. He said the problem with money is not um, often having too little or having enough, but the problem is the way that we use the money that we've been given. 
Uh, there was another TED Talk by a, a woman named Elizabeth Dunn, who's a financial um, expert, and what they did was they went to a university campus, and they found 20 different students, and they gave them $20, and they said, hey, here's 20 bucks. What I want you to do is go spend this money on something for yourself, and at the end of the day, come back and tell us what you did with it and how you feel about it. And so they sent 20 people out, they spent money, they came back, and they said, what did you do with 20 bucks? And they were like, because they were in California, it's like so expensive over there, you know? And they were like, yeah, I bought one meal for $20, you know? And they were like, what did you do with the money? Oh, I, I used it to buy like one-fourth of a pair of sneakers that I was wanting to buy. And they said to them, like, how do you feel about that? Like, how do you feel? You were given 20 bucks and you went and got something with it. And they were like, I feel okay. Like, every answer was like, I feel good about it. I feel okay, right? But then they found a different group of students on the same campus. They found 20 uh, students. They gave them 20 bucks. They said, I want you to, uh, between now and 5 o'clock, I want you to go spend this money on someone else. Go bless somebody in your life and come back at the end of the day and tell us how you feel about it. So they gave them the money, and they went out, and they spent the money on somebody else. They came back, and they said, what would you do? And one, one person was like, I gave it to a homeless guy. Another person said, I knew someone that needed a surgery, so I gave them money for their surgery. And they said, how do you feel about it? And every person was like, amazing. And what the research indicated over and over and over again, which they actually did the same study actually in Uganda, just to make sure it wasn't just something that was kind of like an American thing. And they found that there's something about us when we don't live for money and we're generous with our money that brings us to life. And so the first objective is to not live for money. But here's the second thing, which is going to sound contradictory, but it's not. Don't avoid the reality of money. Turn to Proverbs chapter 6 with me. Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11. I love this passage. We read this a few weeks ago, and I just had to share it again. Because um, he basically tells us we have to learn from the ants on how to be motivated in life. I love this. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard. I love it. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. <laughs> How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief. And scarcity like an armed man. Yeah, that is in the Bible, okay? And sluggard, yes, is used in a derogatory manner. The first principle is do not live for money. But the second principle is do not avoid the reality of money. And let me explain kind of what I, I mean by this. There was this guy that I knew uh, in college. I didn't know him for very long. I had one class with him. And um, he, was, um, he was going on some mission trip, and he was trying to raise $1,000. And um, he was asking everybody for money, except the problem was, like, we were all broke college students, you know. So I think I literally gave him, like, 20 cents. Um, I had two uh, dimes, so I gave it to him. Um, but he was asking people for money, and I was at, because he, he kind of sounded, like, very, like, um, like, urgent about it, you know. Like, he was really trying to raise this money, you know. And I, I'm, I'm thinking, man, is your deadline in two weeks or something? And he's like, no. He's like, yeah, I got six months to raise $1,000. 
And uh, I asked him, because um, he didn't seem like the guy who was like super into his studies. You know, I was like, you've probably got some free time on your hands. Um, I said, well, you need $1,000. I said, well, like, I mean, that only is like, that's less than $200 a month you'd have to raise. That's less than 50 bucks a week. I was like, man, like, why are you stressing about this? I mean, you could literally just go work at Starbucks or McDonald's uh, just a little bit every week, and you'd make more than enough money that you need for, for your trip. And he's like, hey, I can't do that. And I said, why, why can't you do that? He's like, man, I can't do that because I live by faith. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, um, and, and I was, you know, I, honestly, I didn't know how to respond because it kind of sounded good. But he was like, no, he's like, no, nah, man, like, he goes, I believe God's going to provide the money for me that I need for this trip. He was like, man, if I go out and get a job, that's me not trusting God. He's like, I think God's going to provide the money for me. He goes, if I go out there and make that money for myself, that's not trusting the Lord. And I was like, I knew in my heart it was probably not right, but I just kind of nodded because I didn't really know what to say. You know, someone kind of says something, you know it's off, but you're not really trained up to say it. So I was like, okay, whatever, you know, that he, uh, I, I didn't see him much after that. I don't know if he ever raised the, the money, but I think that was always a good example for me of sometimes how we kind of over-spiritualize money. And someone says, I'm not going to work a job because God's going to provide for me. It kind of sounds good. It kind of sounds spiritual. And yet I've, I look in the Bible a lot. And um, just, I mean, heads up, like the way I think God usually provides money is through a job. Um, in the Old Testament, like that's God's mir- miraculous provision for you. Come down, it's manna from heaven is your employment, you know. See it in the Old Testament. I mean, like think about this, because the problem is we think that work is bad or work is sinful. And yet the reality is work is painful and difficult. That's a result of the fall. But even before sin enters the world in Genesis 3, God puts Adam and Eve in the garden to work it. And so work is just a part of the good plan that God has for most of our lives. Whether we work at the home with children or we work outside of the house, work in a job. Like work is a good thing for us because being lazy is not a good thing for any person. And so we don't live for money, right? The Proverbs say don't live for money. Don't spend your whole life just trying to get more money. But at the same time, don't avoid the reality of money. It says in Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty only comes to poverty. So someone who's not planned out, not organized, comes to poverty. But then in 1 Timothy 5, 8, and this is Paul very directly talking to a church. He says, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And the reason why Paul writes that is because um, there, was, uh, where there was this church in Ephesus and people said, oh, um, you're, my family member is a part of that church, so the church will just take care of them. And so the church was getting all these people with all these needs they couldn't provide for everybody. And so Paul says, listen, if someone comes to the church and they have a need and they have a family member who can take care of them, you go out and instruct that family member to take care of their family. And so it is important to make money. It is important to have what we need. It is important to work jobs, though we don't live for it. But then the third thing is this. Turn to Proverbs 3, 9. Two more things. Proverbs 3, 9. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. And the idea is this. Always be giving away some of the money God has given you. 
That's the best way I can sum up a principle. Always be giving away some of the money God has given you. I think people will read stories like in the gospel with the rich young ruler where the guy comes to Jesus and um, he says, I want to follow you. And he, he says to the guy, go sell everything you have. Give everything you have away, right? And um, some people will say, well, does that mean that everybody has to give everything away? And I don't think that it necessarily means that because when I see Jesus interacting with different people, he doesn't tell every person, go give away everything you have. He gives that specific command to that specific guy because he was a rich young ruler. Most likely we could assume that his idol in his life was money. And so maybe in your life, if money is your idol, if money is the main thing you live for, maybe God will call you to give away a lot of what you have to clear room in your heart for him and for what he wants to do with you. But the reality is, I think for most of us, we're mostly called to give away consistently some of the money that God has given us. I think Proverbs 3.9 gives us some good things to to know and and be helpful Um, because here's the reality. And, And I talk to a lot of you. And this is what I honestly believe. I, I honestly believe most people want to be generous with their money. I think most people want to make a difference. But we struggle, don't we? Right? We struggle. Most people want to, right? Most people know if I just spend it all myself, it's not going to satisfy me. Like we know deep down we want to be generous. But the problem is we run out of money, don't we? That's the problem, you know? It's like the mortgage and the Netflix, which that's only like eight bucks. That shouldn't be much at all, right? But we eat out a lot, and I love Chick-fil-A, and I love Starbucks, you know. I'm pretty basic, you know, and so I, I spend my money on these things, and then we kind of get to the end of our money, and it's like I wish I could help with some needs and some stuff, but I don't have any money. And yet right here, I think what the Proverbs give us is kind of a way to be generous is because he says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. And so here is the reality. That when it comes to being generous, we must decide what God is calling us to give away, where God is calling us to give it away to, and to build that into our budget the same way we'd build our mortgage into our budget. You see, the way you don't skip your generosity is you give first. Uh, One of the things that the church does and has done for a long time and is this idea of, of tithing and uh, where like a lot of Christians are challenged to give away 10% of what they make to the church, right? And so it's like, whatever you make, you don't have to think about it. You just say, what's 10% of what I make? And I, I give it to the church or I give it to whatever charity or organization that I support. And so what happens is you calculate it out, right? And so if you make more money, you give a little bit more. If you make less and come on hard times, it's not like, well, I committed to give this much money, but then I lost my job. And so I've got to give all my money away. Like, you know, it's like, you've always got a portion of money. And what the first fruits means is that we're consistently generous. It's not like once in a blue moon I feel led to help somebody, right? That we always have this rhythm in our lives of generosity. And so we should always be giving away some of the money that God has given us. And what's so cool, I swear, is as I prepare these sermons, like every week I see things like on the internet, and it's like exactly what we're talking about. And I want to show you a video here in a second of something that made the news. It was kind of a big deal this week. And um, it's basically the guy who has just become um, the most highest paid player in the entire NFL, right? And they asked this guy named Derek Carr, star quarterback for the Raiders. He's awesome. I love watching him. Um, They asked him, okay, so Derek, you've got all this money now. What are you doing? And so we should have the video up here uh, briefly. 
It's better with the sound, so. It goes in the green port. We'll wait, we're family here, who cares? I can't ad-lib it. I could probably try that. It'd be kind of cool. Just try it again. We'll see what happens. Anyway, this is Derek Carr. So, there we go. Derek Carr. Are you a Raider fan now? Awesome dude. And what I love about what he said there, they said, hey, you've got all this money now. What's going to change? He said, nothing. And I love how he said, man, even when I was making $700 on a scholarship, I already had my lifestyle set out. See, the problem is we think that the amount of money that we make should change us. And yet, uh, generosity, that is true generosity, is born out of conviction, not convenience. True generosity is born out of conviction, not convenience. And so if we don't have much, then probably we can't give very much. But the more we get, the more we give. And I love it because literally the proportions of what he was giving and doing just increased. And this is what's beautiful for like those of us in the church who don't have much money. That's okay. Uh, that's the beautiful thing about it. And and the cool thing about tithing is literally it is not commanded in the Bible. You don't have to tithe. Like you can be a Christian and never give a dime to your church. You, You can be a Christian and never give a dime to a homeless person on the street. Tithing is something that Christians do who have a true conviction and belief that giving money to their local church is a good thing. It's a good thing, and I want to do it, and I want to make sure that I do do it, so I'm going to set aside a percentage for my entire life, and this is what I give to this. This is what I give to my church. This is what I give to this ministry. This is the percentage. You lock it into your lifestyle. It becomes a conviction. It's just something that you do. You don't have to think about it very much because it's just laid out for you every week. This is what I give, and if your income goes up, you give more, and if your income goes down, you give less. But the way that we make sure we're actually generous and we don't just kind of talk about it is to give of the first fruits of the things that God blesses us with consistently. And the last thing is this, Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. And this answers one of the most common questions that people will ask me about money. They say, how much money should I make? 
And this is what I think is the most helpful text for us in discerning that. Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. It says, Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The last point I think we see in the Proverbs is to pray for God's guidance in discerning how much you need. I was thinking about this week, and it was like, you know, God could have just said, this is how much money you should make. Like, he could have put it in the Bible. And he could have even put it in New Testament terms, in terms of, like, their culture. And we could have easily, like, calculated to what that would mean in American money. It's like, so every, every person that's a Christian should have $50,000 they're making a year. You should have this much money in your bank account, right? Like, we, he could have easily given us a number. It could have been an exact legal law, and yet God has not given that to us. And what I love is God does not give us a number for how much we should make or have, but God gives us a prayer to pray. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches. And there is what we call a poverty theology, which says that God loves you more if you have less money. And there's a prosperity theology, which says God loves you more if you have more money, right? You've heard of prosperity theology, like the weird guys on on the television, like the one guy who was saying he needed a ministry jet. You ever heard about that one, right? Like a legit televangelist. He had one jet already, but he needed another jet, you know? And he said, can you imagine the ministry I can do with this ministry jet, you know? And he got like blown up on like the internet for like saying something so stupid, you know? But it's prosperity theology. God wants you to be way more rich. Or poverty theology. God wants you to have nothing. But then there's the biblical answer, which is God wants you to have what you need. And so if you want to know how much money should I have, I can't give you that answer. That is something that you have to go to God yourself and pray and say, God, give me neither poverty nor give me riches, but give me the food that is needful for me and enable me to bless people with what you have given me. What I discern from the Proverbs is that too little or too much money can be harmful to your soul. And so we pray for God's guidance in discerning how much we need. Uh, But as we draw to a close, we're going to turn to one more scripture. Turn with me to Luke 21, and we'll close it up right here. I love this passage, Luke 21, verses 1 through 4. And I think this applies to money, but I think this applies to everything in our lives. Luke 21, verses 1 through 4, it says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. And I love this because I think what it shows us is that in all things, Jesus always looks at the heart. You don't need to feel guilty about how much money to give to people or to your church. Anybody that ever tries to use guilt to drive you to be generous is doing so in sin. We give out of love. 
We give because we care about things. We give because God has given us everything. And I love this because what it shows us is that this poor widow who does not have much money can do great things for the kingdom. I love this passage because what it shows is that even if you're weak, you can still do great things. You see, in our world, we equate strength with success. And so the stronger I am and the more I do and the more volume at which I do it, the better. And yet all that Jesus wants from us is a heart that just wants to love people and to give. And this is good news for those of us this morning that have come here and we feel weak. We feel like we're struggling in life. We feel like we don't have much to offer. What this story shows us is that God can use a willing weakness to do great things. This means that God can use us powerfully even in the weakest seasons of our lives. And my call to you today would be to not wait until you feel like you have it all together before stepping out and attempting to love powerfully like Jesus loves us. Church, let's give generously, let's give radically, but let's only do so in love. There's no condemnation for those in Christ, for he has set us free to live lives of love. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to remind us, Lord, of the reason why you made us. God, so often we can get distracted in life. We get caught up in in the rat race of jobs and schedules and things we're supposed to be doing, and we start to miss our purpose. God, would you call us back into that this morning? God, I pray we'd see the people around us as opportunities to love. I pray we'd see the brokenness around us as something you're calling us to step into, to bring your light into the darkness. And God, I pray not just with money, God, but with everything, with our gifts and with our talents, God, that we would live open-handed, God, saying, what do you want to do with this? Here I am, I offer everything. Use me, God. I pray that be our prayer this morning for us. I pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.